Welcome to the Unsweetened Sayo podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsayo.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 123 of Unsweetened Sayo, the podcast. Today's guest is Christy McCammon. Most of Christy's life was spent being overweight and food obsessed. Unfortunately, food became her friend and comfort at a very young age. This set up a lifetime of dependence on food for every emotion, sadness, joy, fear, excitement, happiness, anger, boredom, chaos, you name the emotion, and food was the answer. She was in a battle with food daily. She was either white knuckling her way to stay out of the food or was overeating and binging. There was no in-between. No matter what she tried, she simply could not let go of sugar and flour laden junk food. It had truly become a stronghold in her life that kept her enslaved to food. The idea of moderation always sounded ideal. Just one piece, just one bowl, just one slice, just one. <laughs> that never worked for her. Once she had just one, the brain was actively demanding more. She was in a place of desperation and her weight was the highest it had ever been. She had an amazing husband of 25 years who loved her unconditionally, five amazing children, plenty of wonderful friends and family, and a loving relationship with God. Truly a life that she loved, yet she could not get her relationship with food under control. She often prayed for God to deliver her from her food addiction and take away all cravings for unhealthy food. She tried every diet and plan available. In past weight loss attempts, there was usually short-term success, but eventually she was right back to obsessing over food and binging on sugar and flour-filled foods. She began praying for a permanent solution out of this food obsession. She was ready to fully surrender. After one such prayer, she came across the idea of food boundaries. This is simply the idea of following boundaries in regards to food. No sugar, no flour, three meals a day, and measured portions. She did have to eat food to survive, but did not have to eat sugar and flour. She knew in that moment that her rescue boat had arrived and she just had to jump in and paddle. She began eating amazing, delicious, and abundant amounts of food. A lifestyle change rather than a diet was exactly what she needed. Since then, she has released 150 pounds and has gone from a size 28 down to a size 12. Her head is clear and all mental food chatter is gone. She can confidently say that she found food freedom and is finally free from this burden of food addiction. Sometimes living sugar and flour free is hard, but being obese and food, food obsessed was much harder. Now she can fully enjoy the life that she has always loved. Oh, I love that introduction so much, Christy, and resonate with so much of that myself. So welcome. 
So glad to have you today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yes. Well, let's just dive right in because I'm sure like me, a lot of people listening were nodding along as I was reading your your intro there and probably could relate to a lot of what you were saying. Um, one of my favorite words that you used that I actually circled was enslaved, you know, that you were enslaved to food. Um, so yes, I cannot wait to hear your story. Um, start from the very beginning. <laughs> Okay, well, enslaved is exactly how I felt. Um, it felt like it was in bondage to food. I felt like I was in con being controlled by food. And maybe that sounds silly, but anyone that's a true sugar addict knows how sugar can call your name. And it messes with your mind. And it there is a controlling enslaving factor. Um, so, you know, for me, I know where it started. It started in my childhood, um, very much so. And we ate for every emotion. We had traumatic events that had taken place and some dysfunction and to eat because it was a safe place. We'd go to a restaurant and we would eat and eat and eat until it was safe to go back to where we were. And in those moments, food was a friend. It was a love. It was a comforter. And it became totally entwined with me. There was no question about it, every emotion. And then of course, when there was any other emotion, food just solved it all temporarily. We all know that it doesn't solve anything long-term, but in the moment it takes away the feelings, no question about it, and it stuffs it down. I do believe that even if that wasn't in my childhood, I have a propensity towards addiction. It would have happened later. It would have happened during pregnancy, after having kids, at some point I would have had an issue, I believe. But for me, it was so early that it was so entwined with everything I did. So even when I got married and, you know, didn't it just had this happy home and all of that, I still couldn't stop eating because it was just a part of me. And I, for years had, you know, this is, sounds terrible, but I thought, gosh, if I was an alcoholic, I could stop drinking, stop going to bars, stop holding a, a wine glass in my hand. And it would be easy. I'm wrong. I know that that's wrong. And I've since realized that but that's why when I was praying, okay, Lord, there's gotta be a way that I could just for years, I had prayed for cravings to go away. I'd say, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. And I've asked the Lord to take away all cravings for sugar. Well, that never happened. Never, 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 because sugar is delicious. It's good. It's a dopamine hit. It fires us up. And, but after one such prayer is when I realized I don't have to have sugar and flour. Like that's the addictive part. I have to eat. Absolutely. And what's really cool is there's amazing, delicious, abundant, beautiful, healthful, wonderful food that God gave us. We don't have to eat out of a package or a box, but it was so ingrained in me that it was part of it. So it did take some time to break that um, physical addiction and the emotional addiction, because those are two different things. Um, but I realized just as an alcoholic needs to get away from the bar or away from alcohol, I needed to get away from sugar packages, flour, ice cream shops, you know, all that I need to get away from all of that. And it was at that moment that I knew my life could change. I knew I could be free and not enslaved anymore, but not if I kept dancing with sugar, so to speak, I couldn't moderate it. I tried my whole life to have a cheat day. You know, you hear people talk about a cheat day. Okay, just Saturday nights, one hour. 
Well, then all week I was just waiting for Saturday night and thinking and planning my, you know, binge itinerary. And then when it was over, Sunday was a mess. And I, well, I'm just going to keep eating and eat a couple more days. And it didn't work and it doesn't work for everybody. Some people can moderate and I think it's great, but that is not for me. I cannot do that. So in, you know, all these areas of my life, I had such great successes and a wonderful marriage and wonderful kids. And I led things in my community and I homeschooled, did a homeschool teaching co-op and, but I couldn't get the food under control. And it was only for me when I realized there's one thing and one thing only that's going to do it. And that was the boundaries and putting boundaries around food, of getting rid of sugar, flour, and limiting to three meals a day. And just having those boundaries was the key, the solution. And I have been maintaining my loss for three years now. So I just kept the lifestyle. It wasn't a let's lose weight. It was let's change my relationship with food. And let's get unslaved. Let's get out of this slavery and bondage to sugar and flour. Mm, so amazing. And I love what you said about the moderation because I like, same thing. I was like, man, I would do anything to be a moderator because, you know, that to me sounded ideal. And I'm still almost jealous of people <laughs> that can moderate. But me yeah, too, for me, me it just wasn't. And I have to say, and I wonder if you agree, once I kind of let that go, abstaining is actually way easier for me way 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 easier than moderating ever was agreed 100 so, yeah. i always say none is easier than one yeah because one always for me and and for you it sounds like and many many people always leads to more yeah and i would i had a friend that literally would have a piece of cake on her plate she'd eat a couple bites and she was done. She yeah. had no desire to have more of that. And I was jealous my whole growing up. And I'd watch her and think, how all I'm thinking about is finishing mine and eating yours. And then whatever else I get my hands on later. And I do believe that some people just have that propensity. I do believe that it's not even necessarily our fault, but having that propensity, we have to live differently. We have to live differently. I, I couldn't moderate and I agree. I had some jealousy too, but now I'm just, the gift of abstinence is so great and so much more freeing. Yes. I remember trying to do like, it was called like the three bite diet. It was like, you really only need three bites of any dessert. Like that's the best three bites after that, your taste buds aren't really tasting it anyway. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, that, that let me just tell you three bites yes. never happens. So and um, we're not eating it because of our taste buds. That's, you know, a true yeah. addict is eating it far beyond what tastes good. It's the hand to mouth comfort, the fork to mouth comfort. There's so much emotionally tied up in it also. Exactly. And I love that you came up with these boundaries, you know, like, and I'm just curious, how did flour fall in there for you? Like, because for me, I tried giving up sugar and it was finally like realizing, reading this article that you had to give up flour too. So I'm curious, mm. how did that come? How did you kind of put that piece of the puzzle together that really you needed to give up both? Both. Okay. So the food plan and food boundaries is decades old from the food addicts food plan. So mm. it's directly from food addicts, anonymous FAA. It's the food plan of no sugar, no flour, three meals and measuring your food. Mm. And since then, many programs have used that um, because it puts things in a nice little, you know, boundary and place that you can walk through. So, and then studying the effects of sugar 
Um, there's several people that I followed, um, you know, science, the, you know, Mark Hyman, uh, Mike Collins, who talk very much about the effects of sugar on our body. And when sugar enters our body, it's a glucose hit goes right to our system. Well, flour does the exact same thing. It doesn't know the difference. It hits our system and it acts as sugar and immediately turns to glucose. And Mike Collins calls it a powder addiction, which I thought was really interesting because it is, it's that sugar and flour. And when you look at a pile of sugar, a pile of flour, it looks a lot like other drugs mm -hmm. because it's so processed down to nothing. It immediately hits your system and gives you that hit immediately. So sugar and flour, we taste the difference, but our bodies, there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. And so I knew that those would go hand in hand and often things that have flour have some sugar as well, but it's even still in things just that have flour or any kind of flour. I don't eat any kind of flour, not coconut flour, almond flour, any kind, because it's all broken down to the very, very basic thing. And there's no, you know, it, it can affect your body just as sugar can. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that because I get that question a lot. Like I understand no sugar, but why can't you eat flour, you know, and then kind of explain and then, well, can I have gluten-free flour? Nope. You know, no flour at all. And that was again, a big, again, I had tried to do gluten-free, no sugar, but I must've still with the addicted brain was getting enough, even from the gluten-free flours of a hit that it was still triggering me to want more and more and more. It wasn't until I removed the substances completely that that could begin to heal, you know? So even right. when you just get that little bit, that's all you need for your brain to tell you that you want more and more and more and more and more. Exactly, exactly. And I love you talking about Mike Collins. You're just setting this up perfectly because he's actually my guest next week. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, yeah, that's awesome. perfect. He's great, um, he's got great stuff. Yes, yes. So, um, well, let's, yeah, so we have the boundaries that you basically, and, and it is the Food Addicts Anonymous kind of model. And so I'm curious, when did you start this? Like, when did this kind of start? October 3rd, 2017. Okay. So mm -hmm. then, and it's funny because I'm real close to that. I'm in January, 2018. So I'm just okay. like, you know, real close to you. And so again, feel just really connected our stories. Yeah. But tell me then now, did you, once you came up with these, did you join a group? Did you just do it, start doing it on your own? Like how, once you knew what you had to do, how did you actually start doing it then? I read a couple books, looked at the, the tools, kind of ideas of writing out food is a big part of it. And, you know, getting your food written out ahead of time to eliminate some of the food decisions because there's a study recently done, not recently, a long time ago. Um, I don't have the date of it, but that we have the um, average of 226 food thoughts a day. Like, should I have more? Did I have enough? I should do this. I should do that. Maybe a little bit more. I'm hungry. Should I have an apple? Should I have an orange? And if we lay out our food plan the night before, 99% of those are eliminated. And we do not have to be struggling. But what should I have? Oh, it's almost lunchtime. Hmm, what do I feel like? No, it's laid out the night before. I lay out my food the night before what I'm going to have. And the next day, that's what I eat. Now, there are times where, oh, shoot, I don't have that. And somebody ate that or I'm going to dinner and I have to, you know, adjust that a little bit. I'm not crazy about eating only in exactly every single meal. But for the most part, I lay it out and that's what I have. And it eliminates the you know decisions and process and all that you go through throughout the day there is so many decisions to make 
I don't need to have to be thinking about every single meal. And that's just going to lower my willpower and make me whatever. I'll just eat this. No, I have it laid out and that's what I generally stick to. And it really helps. That's one of the great tools. I spend a lot of time um, as a Christian. I spend a lot of time in prayer and meditating on God's word. Um, you know, there's my favorite Bible verse is taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And for years I took refuge in food. I turned to food for every emotion. Oh, food. And it was like, I hate to say I was worshiping food, but there was definitely a using it for comfort and not turning to the source of true comfort and clearly wasn't successful. And so when I eliminated that and turned to the source of true comfort, that changed everything because I realized that the food was so temporary and that I could break up with a couple portions of it, not food altogether, obviously, but sugar and flour. And yes, it was a bit of a challenge at the beginning. And I will say anybody that chooses to do this, please be aware there are going to be emotions that come up. The physical detox only takes five to seven days and you're done. The sugar's out of your system system and you're done with the physical detox part for the most part. Okay. But the emotional detox can take years because especially the longer you've been in it and connected and in love with food and using food for every emotion, the longer it takes to relearn that and for your brain to be okay with it. So I did spend the first month crying letting feelings come up. I always say feel your feelings, don't feed your feelings. And I fed my feelings for a long time. So feeling them is hard if you haven't done it. Even if you've done it, it's hard. But letting them come up and letting yourself cry, letting yourself get mad, letting yourself write out why this is so hard and let them come to the surface. It's almost like this bubble. Let it come up and get out. Because if we keep stuffing that bubble with food, we're never going to know what we're feeling and, and how to handle life. We just eat through it. So there is a hard part at the beginning. It's very hard. I wouldn't sugarcoat that for anybody. It is hard, but coming out, you know, a couple, after a few weeks, a month, life is just entirely different. It's literally entirely different because the free space that's in the brain, because you're not thinking about food. When should I have it? Oh, I'm going to drive through here, take it home, buy snacks that don't make a lot of noise. So my kids don't hear them. I mean, the crazy things that an addict does is all consuming. So then when you limit it three meals a day and you have it laid out, there's a lot of free space that you have to learn to work with and lots of free space for the wonderful things that God has in store for you that I wasn't utilizing because I was thinking about food. <laughs> I always say that too. I think like that to me is probably the number one benefit of going, you know, being in recovery now is that free mental space that you're talking about. Like, yeah, because so much, you said whatever that quote, like 263 thoughts a day. I mean, when I was addicted, it could have been like almost nonstop, it felt yes. like. Agreed. You know, whether I was dieting or binging, because I was always one or the other, you know, like you were saying. And if it was dieting, it was like really white knuckling it. And if it was binging, just obsessed of what else more I could eat. So it was always constant, took up so much time. You know, if I was like at a family gathering out with friends, 
I could care less about the company. I was totally focused <laughs> on the food itself. So now I feel like it's such a blessing <laughs> to go out and share like a meal with someone. And I'm totally present with that person instead of like, well, what's on the dessert menu? What am I going to have for dessert? Or what am I not going to have dessert? When are they going to bring the bread basket? And will they notice that I ate just that whole bed basket? I mean, just all the things that you're thinking about. Um, yeah. so I, I know you in 150 pounds. I mean, that's a significant weight loss, but I'm curious what you have found to it. Would you say that's been your number one benefit or what have you seen as really the benefits to being now free from this addiction? So I, the weight loss truly is a secondary benefit. It's agree. not, I mean, it's great, fantastic, close fit. I can do whatever I want to do, hike, whatever I want to hike, get on the ground. I mean, I can do anything. And I tried to do a lot before, but it's different when you have a lot of excess weight. But that's the secondary benefit. The first benefit is the free mind, the clear mind, just clarity that I'm not obsessed and focused on food. When can I get it? How much? How about this? I mean, you know, I've made lists and now I work with other women, but I have lists and lists of all the crazy, shameful things I did with food and the hours that were spent planning a binge or planning how to, you know, plan a binge, plan, okay, I'm home for a couple hours. I'm going to get all these things. I'm going to eat all this stuff. Then I'm going to have to hide it. Then I'm going to have the shame days, you know, of time, chunks of time that were just wasted on that. So now I can help other people. I just do different things. You know, my life is just whatever is in front of me. I can do it. I don't have this stopper. I don't have this thing that's holding me back anymore that I had holding me back. Uh, mentally or physically at times, depending on what the, you know, situation was that, that extra weight can hold you back from things. Yeah, totally. Cause a lot of people ask me that. And I will say that was my number one motivation was weight loss. And when I work with women too, it's like a lot of times that's their number one motivation. And I was just obsessed with that, like, you know, losing weight. And it took me a while. I'm going to say too, it took me almost five months before I started kind of losing weight. And I just knew intuitively, like, I need to give this a full year. I've ate this way for a really long time. I need to give it time. And so like I struggled, I would say really hard for even five months and then, you know, started losing weight. But by that point, like you said, it was just a secondary benefit because I was already experiencing these other really amazing things. But I do think, you know, and I, so I understand when in the beginning, it's hard, I think, for some women or people to understand that because they're just so focused on the weight loss. And I was very single minded the same way. But once you get that mental clarity, um, that does become more secondary. But I am still very grateful for it. And a big part of what you're saying is just the mobility factor, you know, and being more comfortable in my own skin for the first time. I'm just very comfortable in my own body. And I will say I love going into my closet and knowing everything fits in there where before I used to have like the smaller size, the bigger size, and then the clothes with the tags on them that hopefully I would fit into one day 
or that I bought trying to like motivate myself to stay on whatever diet I was currently trying. Like I've gone through all of those now and there's only one size. And like you're saying, like for me too, it's, it's stayed for three years now. And that to me is still like a miracle that I can get out my summer clothes in the summer and they all fit. (laughs) It's almost like mind blowing to me still. Agreed. I, one of my favorite non-scale victories, and I shared this in a, with a video with, on one of my, I don't know if it was on YouTube or what it was, but, um, um, I wore a hole in a shirt. Like I actually, the material wore out. Now I never have had that happen before because I'm in a shirt for a while then I'm in a different size. And I was wearing the same shirt, my favorite shirt that I loved off and on, you know, for a four year window and it wore out. And I, and I thought this is actually cool, sad. Cause I love the shirt, but how great what a cool non-scale victory that I'm the same weight for so long and wore the same thing that I wore the shirt out. <laughs> so that's that amazing. Fun. Yeah. We're all in it. <laughs> Just something you probably couldn't even comprehended before. Like, oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> I know. I know. I thought clothes last forever, but they actually don't. You wear them, you wash them and eventually they'll, the thread gets thin and can wear a hole in it. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's great. We'll talk a little bit more because I do think, yeah, getting off the food is just part one and it's an essential step. You can't do anything else until that happens first, but talk a little bit more about the emotional part, because that was really, you know, I think a big part. And like you said, lasts for years, you know, still a part of a lot of people's journeys is learning, basically creating new habits and filling the void that food has left with something else, like nourishing yourself with something else. So I know that you work with clients and this, I'm just curious, how do you kind of help, you know, women do this? Like, cause it is overwhelming when you start feeling those emotions. And for some people, they come all at a time. It's like, holy cow. And it's so hard when you're used to, when you haven't felt them in so long, like I had to get really comfortable being uncomfortable. This is what I say, or being okay, not being okay. But that it's still something I struggle with, you know, almost four years later is just being uncomfortable because for my go-to instinct is don't want to feel that. Like I got to fix that. Yes. And so it takes a while. So I'm curious. I know there's so many different tools out there, but I would love for you to kind of share, you know, what, what ha- works for you and what you kind of, you know, help other women do. Okay. So that is true. You have to sit in the uncomfortable moments and that is hard because reality is, and this is what I tell people, food will solve that moment. It will, it will. And to deny that would be silly of me. I know that when we're in that uncomfortable moment, if we eat that, you know, favorite food, that's been our comfort food. It takes it away. It calms us down for a few minutes and then it keeps going. We're still up a Creek. We're still a mess, but it solves the temporary moment. So in order to get free, you have to feel those uncomfortable moments there, but no feeling even it feels like it's going to be big and scary right? But there is nothing too big and too scary. And in fact, nothing, no emotion can kill us, but the things we do to stuff it can. We can end our life earlier, inadvertently, take our own life on the installment plan, um, you know, be in a position where we're cutting years off our life because we don't want to feel a feeling. So you have to feel uncomfortable. And what I help, the first thing I help women do is 
walk through a temptation plan because in those moments, we are drawn to food. It is a temptation that, you know what? Driving through this place, getting this thing, it always takes care of it. I'm gonna do it. I just have to do it. But pausing, number one, I say practice the pause because if you're not gonna pause, you're never going to be able to overcome the moment of temptation. You have to breathe. So I always encourage people to take five deep breaths right away and tell yourself, I'll eat, I'll do that after I take my five deep breaths and walk through this temptation plan. So my temptation plan is um, five deep breaths first and foremost, that gives me the pause to be able to move forward with the right choice. If I don't pause, I'm in that line with the food in my face before I can even know it. So that pause. And then I, my favorite little mantra is stop, pray, walk away. I have to get myself, I have to stop my feet, get, just get myself free, you know, still just pray. Okay, Lord, I, I I'm going to get sucked into this. I want this, the acknowledging that this sounds really good right now, but I need help getting out and get away, get it out of sight, get it out of the front of me, whether it's a cupcake or a drive-through or sitting at a Mexican restaurant with, I would say the devil's triangles, the chips, some people can have them and that's great. But for me, I would have more and more and more. So if I'm sitting somewhere, I have to walk through steps to get away from it or I'm in it. So stop, pray, walk away. Then I usually will or pretty much always reach out to a friend. I have a great mastermind group who we all do the same thing and support each other. Just send a little text struggling right now. I really want this particular thing and I'm not going to have it. And I'm committing to you all. Can you ask me later? And they will ask me later. And I know and I believe in being honest and having integrity around food now. And I didn't have that before. So I'm honest about it. If I make a mistake, I'm honest about it. And I know they're going to ask me. Um, it could also be just a lot of, if it's at a restaurant and I'm tempted, I'll get up and go to the bathroom and just stand there for a minute, close my eyes and take some deep breaths. And I'm usually fine. So I encourage women to, and men to create a plan that will work for them. Maybe stop, pray, walk away doesn't work for them. So what's going to work? Is it, you know, getting a notebook and writing a tally that you've overcome this temptation? Is it calling a certain person? Is it taking a little walk around the block or your house or a restaurant? What is going to work for you to just pull your mind to reality in a sense? Because when we're sucked into wanting that food, it's not reality. It's this, it's a very loud screaming voice of addiction. And we have to just get away for a minute just a couple minutes and nine times out of 10, if you walk through that temptation plan, you walk through some tools to get away from it, you're not going to want it. You, you're not going to want it. So I even tell people, tell yourself, I will drive through this place after I walk through these things on my temptation plan. Cause once you do that, you realize, oh my gosh, I don't want that. You just need, most cravings are literally, I, I would say about three to five minutes but the faster you get out of it, it's done. It's done. But it screams at you at the moment. But if you can get away, it's done. So, and it doesn't mean it's not going to come back again because I'm four years in now and I still have moments that are very, very hard and very, very intense. Definitely less than at the beginning and less than when I was in it, of course. But one of my things that makes me want to eat is when I'm by myself. Because growing up, it was the safe thing. I was, okay, I'm alone. I'm safe. I'm comfortable. I'm not going to be harmed. It's just me and, and my buddy. So when I'm alone in the car 
Or when I'm in my house, my kids are in bed and my husband maybe is working late and I'm all by myself. My mind says, eat, you, you have a few minutes, eat, 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 go, 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 let's go. And it's aggressive and it's loud. And that voice of addiction is very aggressive, bottom line. And so in that moment, I very quickly have to, okay, I have two choices here. Am I going to do things to feed that? Or am I going to do things to feed my recovery? And so I maybe get outside, sitting outside, looking at a cloud literally can just change your perspective than when you're in the house with something right near you. So that's a, that's a big part of it. It's just taking those few minutes and trusting that it will go away. If you don't feed it, it will go away every time. If you don't feed it. Yes. And I love that you kind of talked, you identified this trigger for you of being alone. Like, I think it's so good to kind of know your triggers too, because they might be a little bit different for everybody. Just Mm -hmm. like then the temptation plan, like you said, is going to be different for everybody. And my, you know, kind of tacking onto that to people is, yeah, like listen to other people's what works for them, but make sure you're focused on really what works for you. Cause that's the only way to make it sustainable, you know? So if you like that DF, stop, pray, walk away, take that, put it in your toolkit, but make sure you're building something that really, really works for you because that's, what's going to give you the long-term success. Right. Um, and I do think like you were saying it, it gets easier. I think I still have, and actually have been really triggered this holiday season for some reason more than I have the past few. So it's kind of been interesting. And what I do now when I face it is like, pause, like you're saying, and I'm like, huh, I kind of approach it with a curious mind. Like, this is interesting. You know, this is now, you know, what is triggering me this, what's going on? And then the second thing I ask myself is what do I really need? Cause it's yeah, not that I need the food. I'm not really hungry. What do I really need? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just, I really need to rest. Like okay. I need to sleep. I need to say no to a commitment that I said yes to that. I just don't have the energy for, you know, or whatever it is. I just need to go outside and get some fresh air. I need to call a fr- friend. I need connection. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many different, I need a hug. Whatever. Yes. I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. And then, yeah. And the more you do that, I wanted to say too, the easier it gets, it feels just like everything. It takes practice. Mm-hmm. So in the very beginning, when that feels like, you know, you can't, you know, you, you can't even comprehend going through these steps, it does get easier and easier because then you look back and it's like, yeah, this has happened before I got through it. And right. you, and you, you experience how that craving comes and pass like a wave. Right. You know, but you're so right too about it won't pass if you feed it. Um, because I remember being in my food addiction and trying to explain it to a friend that just didn't understand, like, why don't you just stop eating? Right, right. And um, I had remembered, I'm like, you know, it's kind of like for some women when they're pregnant, they have these like cravings and they cannot, they're just compulsive. And like, that's how it feels for me all the time. I just cannot stop, you know? So I had cravings all the time because I was still feeding it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but really when you stop it, it's a, it, I just remember the first time I had a craving and then it went away and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. It can go away. Like this is how most people (laughs) probably feel. And it was such a freeing moment for me to know I can feel it. I can take that pause, you know, figure out a different solution. And then, yeah, it actually does go away. So 
Yeah, I love that. It's just such good um, tools to have. So I'm so glad that you shared. I like that you call it your temptation plan. Um, so again, you could, but you really did this on your own in the beginning, which I think is amazing. Um, I did as well. And I think that's very unusual. And I, you know, now say, cause we both do group coaching and it's like, it's so much easier when you have that connection and support and community. Well, and I did have pretty quick. I kind of had some buddies that were in, you know, addict groups, the same kind of thing, like on Facebook and, you know, we would meet to like do a mastermind group and just kind of connect that, Hey, I'm doing these food boundaries. We have these food boundary groups on Facebook and realize that I'm not alone in doing this. And so I did have, you know, that, and I have great support in my family that thought it was wonderful and perfectly, you know, super supportive of that. Um, but it's, you, you do have to have someone who gets it, I think, because my husband doesn't understand it. He, he has other issues, but he doesn't have like an addiction to food per se. Like, I'm okay. I, I wouldn't eat more than one cookie who does that. Well, okay. Maybe, maybe nobody does it, but you know, he didn't understand that concept, but he understood me and he knew that that was important to me. And so he saw the results of that, of course. But to have another woman who I could talk to and say, wow, this is really hard. What did you do in this situation? And to be able to go back and forth and just give ideas and say, it's just going to stink. It just stinks at this moment. And you just have to sit in the ugly, breathe through it, and you will get through it. And just knowing that someone else understood. And the more I started coaching people and just starting talking about it and in different groups like that, I realized, wow. We keep this, it felt like this little world I was living in that nobody else understood that food called to me and addiction is loud. And I don't know how to fight it and I can't stop eating. And so many people experience the same thing, but you don't just talk about that in a regular, you know, sitting around a table. But when you start to talk about it to people who struggle, you realize, wow, we have all the same thing in common and it's a hard thing, but it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much shame around it, I think is part of yeah. it. Like, Definitely. I remember even when I started the podcast, I was like, am I really going to do this? Am I going to put out there to anyone that wants to listen that I'm a food addict? I mean, it's not something you normally go out and like brag about. Right. And I, it's, it's very isolate. It can be very isolating too. I know. Cause I didn't have any immediate addicts, like in my, you know, immediate inner circle. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like something's wrong with me. Like, why well, can't, like you were kind of saying, I have all these amazing areas in my life. Why can't I get this one area under control? And then really, and I thought I was the most addicted person in the world too. You know, it's like, well, no one else is as addicted as I am. Right. But then once you find those people like Bitten Johnson, who I adore, will say, yes. you, I, you, yes. you have to find them. people that can speak your language. And that makes all the difference. So I can, you know, call Christy up and be like, I really, you know, the kids brought cupcakes home from school today. And that's really triggering me. I threw them out in the trash can, but I want to go into the trash can and eat them. Cause I've done that before. I have mm -hmm. taken things out of the trash can. And, you know, a, a, another friend might be like, oh my God, that's so gross. When, you know, Christy's going to be like, yeah, been there. Like, you get it. Yep. And then it just, yeah, you share that burden with someone that, but that really gets it. I think that's really important part because we have a lot of love and support within our families, but yeah, your partner might not exactly get it. So it is really, really key. I think to have those 
even if it's just one or two people in your life that really get it a hundred percent, because it just releases, I think for me, it's like that burden. It does. And it does, it releases the shame. I mean, you still have shame if you're continuing in the pattern, but it just makes it, it, it makes you realize that you're not alone. Other people do it. This is your area. This is my area of weakness. This is the thorn in my side. I don't have, you know, this is the thing that weighs me down, drags me down, keeps me in bondage throughout my life. And this thing still that I will always have a propensity towards. Now I have tools, it's under control, but it's always going to be something for me. It's always going to be something. And then to be able to, you know, when you said um, doing your podcast, I thought the same thing. I felt like, okay, I need to share this. No, I'm not going to share this. I'm not going to put a picture before and after and tell people that I, you know, did these crazy things. No. And then of course, a little time goes by and feel that little tug again, that, you know, there's a lot of people hurting and I'm, I'm going to share. And so very slowly came up with a name, you know, unbinged life unbinged. And I thought, oh, I don't even like that name because it represents a binge. That means that brings shame, but I know that's what I feel right about. And then very quickly, people sending me messages of thank you. Thank you for living your recovery out loud. And that message, I have heard those exact words dozens of times that someone has said that to me. And that makes it all worth it. Because if I can live my recovery out loud and help somebody do it quietly, that's great. I am happy to do that. But it is vulnerable. It is hard. And there are moments I think, what, what, why, why did I share that? But <laughs> As soon as someone reaches out and say, thank you for sharing that because that changed my life. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. That is so beautiful and so true. And I, I always, same thing when I was praying about it, like, please just make these cravings go away. Please let me be normal. And I would always say though, if I ever help myself, I am going to help other people, you know, and that's just what I knew to be true. And I think once you do feel the gift of being free, it's really hard not to share it with other people. Or I think in a lot of like people's cases that I hear that do coach and help or mentor other people, it's just that they, cause they at some point felt pretty alone and they just want other people to know they are not alone and that there is help out there. Right. You know, it's still hard for me that this isn't something that's medically recognized. Right. Um, so a lot of people that are wanting to get help, I was one of those people. I did all this, spent so much money around like binge eating disorder and trying to get help where what was told to me was moderation, moderation, moderation. So just being able to offer another solution to people, um, I think is really, really important. And the more people that share their stories and that's kind of exciting time. I really think for food addiction right now, as funny as that sounds, it's really picking up momentum. A lot more people are talking about it and sharing about it even now than there was like four years ago when maybe we were even kind of starting. So it gives me a lot of hope actually for the future. And I just feel this community really kind of building and bonding and strengthening. So I wonder if you kind of feel that as well. I do. And I've I've tried to figure out, is it because I'm in that circle or community more, or is it because it is more? So I've actually, I've really tried to evaluate that, but I feel like it is more. I really do because, you know, there's so many programs and courses and online stuff that it's all about 
leptin and dopamine and sugar is not good for you and it's a drug and they base a whole program around it. It's not just one, it's not like just one or two people speaking on it. It's hundreds of people helping people talking about sugar, the effects of it, the problems with it um, and the flour. So it is building momentum. It is gaining momentum. And I think it's beautiful because the fact that it's the answer and there is no question that when I realized that, you know, I have to eat to live, but I didn't have to eat sugar and flour. It is true that that's the moment I knew my rescue boat had arrived. There was no question in my mind. Well, here we go. That's my answer. Now I had to get in the boat and I had to paddle. There's tools, there's work to be done, but that is the answer. And in four years or almost, yeah, four years, two months now, I have not one time looked back and said, oh, maybe there's a better way. No, that is the answer. That is the gift. And the abstinence is the freedom. And I'm not going to squander that. It is a gift. I love that. So just looking back at your journey with these last like few minutes that we have, I'm curious if you would let us know and just kind of share with the audience what your, maybe your biggest challenge was and what your biggest victory was, which might've been wearing a shirt out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a huge victory. Um, biggest challenge, probably biggest surprise, I guess I would say is I thought four years in, I wouldn't be tempted to the degree that I am. And yet it still sometimes comes up heavy. Um, so I guess I did feel like maybe after a year or two, I would have gone through everything and I wouldn't be all of a sudden have this momentous moment. You need to eat, you need to eat, but because it's so intertwined in me and most of us in our brains, it still comes up. So that it's a challenge. It's only a challenge if I make it a challenge, but it's, it was an annoying thing that I wasn't prepared for. I thought I would be done with the thoughts, but they still pop up, but I know how to handle them and I can walk through the plan. I can do it. And, but I have not had a perfect journey. There's been some times where I've slipped up, but I immediately get back on the path and continue. My biggest victory I would say is the, the maintaining of the loss and total confidence in my future. I don't question, okay, what am I, where am I, what weight am I going to be at this year or this year or this year? It's just the freedom, the confidence to really be me. And I was a lot, I mean, I, I have five kids and, you know, I'm always swimming with them, playing with them. Even when I was at my heaviest, I determined I was not going to let my weight stop me, but there was this shame and bothersome and this, like a, a filter almost around me of, okay, I can't get I know I'm embarrassed here, but I'm doing it because my kids need it. Well, now I just do it. I don't think about it. I'm free to be me and whatever comes my way, speaking things or, you know, presenting places or, you know, coaching or whatever, I'm free to be me. And that weight and that mental chatter is not going to hold me back. So that's, that's the victory is whatever the Lord has in store for me. I can do it. I don't have to let, oh, maybe I shouldn't. I'm too big or I can't find something to wear or whatever. No, I'm not going to let those things hold me back anymore. So I feel like there's this clear road ahead, which is beautiful. I love that. And actually, I really resonate with both of those. The challenge, the same thing, like I'm saying, I'm having, you know, struggling with, oh, I would really like some chocolate today. What's going on? I would have thought, yeah, by four years in, that would be gone. But it's not. It's something that 
and I've kind of accepted it just as something that I always, it's just an area of sensitivity that I'm always going to have to kind of be looking out for and protecting. Like you kind of do really have to protect your recovery and put your recovery first. You know, that's what I've been reminding myself of is, and you know, and then I always tell my clients, like, we have to put our recovery first. We really, really do. It's the only way then that we can be free to be us. Like you're saying, which is so true too. I, I, I say it kind of like, I feel like the light inside of me is back on. Like I can really shine who the real Siobhan is now. I mean, she was always there, but I couldn't shine my light, like full, like full, you know, full spectrum, which now I feel like I can do. And it just feels really, really good. And just being comfortable in my own skin, you know, for the first time. And I think, you know, along with that, like weight loss is, I just remember a a time that I was confident enough to give all those old clothes away to Goodwill because before I would have saved them just in case, Mm -hmm. but something like, you know, probably even only a year, a little over a year in something was like, this is different. This is forever. It was just this inner knowing that I had, it is okay to let, you know, let all these clothes go, like you will not need them. So that was, you know, so freeing too, and very, very powerful. Yeah. That's a great victory. Well, let us know how we can get in touch with you and I'll make sure I kind of link all this, but what's the best way people can get in touch with you? Um, so my tagline, my, you know, business name word or coaching name is life unbinged. So my website is lifeunbinged.com all one word. My YouTube is life unbinged. My Instagram and Facebook is both life unbinged and TikTok is life unbinged. So across the board, let's live a life unbinged. And you can find me any of those places, send me, contact me through my website or message me through any of those things. I do have coaching groups. I do every 60 days and the next one starts January 2nd. And Uh, a big part of mine that's a little bit different is really surrendering to God and realizing that there's strength and I'm weak and I need his strength to get through certain things. I can't do it all on my own. And, you know, to have that humility to know that it's not just all about me and fighting through it. And so my, um, the next, the group is called journey to surrender. And that starts on January 2nd. And I just continue. It's, it's not just about the coaching because some people want that, but more importantly, just sharing on the different platforms to say, Hey, you're not alone. Hey, and I do real time, uh, temptations that I'm working through and say, okay, this is what I'm tempted with right now, this situation, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk out here and I'll video myself going and walking through my temptation plan. So I try just to be real, just a real person that's dealing with this and to help others so people can see, okay, okay, I can do that too. I want people to experience that freedom as well. I love that. And such good accountability, you know, as you, when you do kind of live your recovery out loud, I I find that keeps me very accountable, you know, like, because I have people in the podcast that depend on me and probably you too, when you're sharing these videos, it's like, I could you know, cave, but no, I'm going to show that this is real. This is how I'm feeling. And this is how I do the temptation plan. So that's right. Yeah. Kind of a gift for you and for all of us too, that get to like, to join you in that. So, well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Is there any last words of advice or a takeaway that maybe you just want to leave with all of us today? Just that if, 
someone is feeling in bondage or enslaved to food, it doesn't have to stay that way. I mean, there is a way out. It is not always easy, but it's always worth it. And to realize that you can get out, but you're going to have to do the tools. You're going to have to, you know, follow people on social media, keep track, get a buddy, you know, that kind of stuff, but it's possible. You don't have to be in bondage forever. Love that. Thank you again. So, so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember, life is so much sweeter without sugar.